Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Okay, welcome back, everybody. I have a bunch of education stories here to go through. And sort of, it, it, they basically also sort of revisit some of the old false tactics that get used to basically put a band aid on a gushing artery when it comes to the teacher shortage that exists in this country. And it does not matter which state it is, this is across the entire United States. The teacher shortage is massive, it's growing for all of the reasons that have been brought up on this show before. And this, the, the tactics that they use, again, to quote-unquote alleviate this massive problem actually fail in the long run. They may think that it works in the short term, but I assure you it does not. And I'm going to go through some of those stories here, some of which, again, were brought to my attention as a result of uh, Jesse James. He, he certainly tossed these my way, and I said, man, I, gotta, I, I definitely have to cover these. And I'm going to. Um, but again, some of them are not new in the sense that these tactics have been used before. And again, they, they don't work. And I'm going to go through why uh, here in just a minute. But first of all, of course, Betsy DeVos gave a speech apparently in Tampa and said that she advocates for the uh, Department of Education to not exist, which is good. Just a quick thing here about Betsy DeVos. If you recall, this was back in 2021, January, I believe, beginning of January or so, was when she tendered her resignation as the secretary of the Department of Education. And she did so after the quote-unquote January 6th fake insurrection. And she basically blamed Trump, and then that was kind of the end of it. It's quite possible, again, that she was doing that because of plausible deniability. She just wanted to put it out there, put a memo out there saying she's resigning, she doesn't agree with the tactics that were used, and then off into the sunset she would go. I have no doubt that while she was the secretary of the Department of Education, that she did a lot of good things. She failed to hire people, she fired a bunch of people, and increased the voucher system to allow, again, families to make their own decisions, hopefully. That certainly seemed to be the case, but she also advocated for that as well. Um, to be honest, I mean, she's 100% right. Yes, of course, the Department of Education does not need to exist. This is low-hanging fruit, I think, to make such a statement. It, it goes without saying. But I, I think that the timing of it is interesting. And again, how many former secretaries of the Department of Education have you heard say such a thing? So, beyond that, I'm not, I'm not sure what else I can add. I know that there are other politicians out there who advocate for homeschooling and, and doing away with the Department of Education. Uh, the same is true, again, with making sure that government is not the parent, and so on and so forth. But I'm not sure there's anything else that I can add to that other than it made headlines and uh, it was bouncing around. The timing is interesting. And again, how many former secretaries of the Department of Education have you heard say that? So I applaud her in that regard. But other than that, you know, at this point, she's, she's about as irrelevant as irrelevant can become. Okay, so this first one has to do with the Michigan superintendent, and this comes from the Daily Caller. This, again, was tossed to me by Jesse James from the Dangerous Info podcast. And it's also very telling because, again, this is something that 
endless superintendents engage in. It's a it's a very nefarious practice. I've brought it up here on the show before. This is not new, and they even recruit teachers to engage in in such practices as school boards themselves have engaged in it. But this is specifically about a superintendent, and it's titled Michigan Superintendent raked in nearly seven hundred thousand dollars in salary benefits as he monitored parents' social media. And again, this is back from March. But what's interesting, again, is that this is Bolshevism, 100%. And again, the business of them doing this and specifically attacking parents should be all the evidence that people need to know that when superintendents are attacking parents for believing that they know more about their children than, say, a superintendent does or a school board does, then, again, that should tell you all you need to know about who these people are, what they think of you, what they think of your children, and ultimately how your word as a parent does not matter and that they do not care. So it starts off and it says, quote, the superintendent of a Michigan public school district cost taxpayers over 700000 in salary and benefits amid calls for his resignation after he admitted to spying on parents' social media accounts a records review by the Daily Caller uncovered. You've heard me say this too. I cannot emphasize enough the importance of doing records requests and and the Freedom of Information Act and, and FOIA requests and all of it, open records requests specifically, for the emails of your superintendents and school board members. You can do this. You should do this. And I'm telling you, you read just a few of them, you'll be yanking your kids out of these schools in no time, without a doubt. And yes, you can try to fix them from within, and you can try to be on school boards and and win elections, et cetera, et cetera. You, You can do these things. However, if you don't immediately clean house, as you've heard me say before, and I mean immediately, you meet behind closed doors with the superintendent, you look them in the face and you say, you're gone. You're gone. We're going to include some money in your contract. We're going to pay you out for the remainder of your contract if they're, you know, if they have time left on. But you make it abundantly clear to them that you are not going to write any letter of recommendation for them whatsoever. And if anybody calls the district, you're going to tell them the truth about the practices and the behavior and the unethical manner in which they carry themselves. And you kick them to the curb. But then you have to do the same thing with all of their cohorts. And all of their sycophants. You have to go up and down the chain. Depart, uh, human resources department, you have to gut them. The treasurer, you have to cut them loose. And then you have to start going after administrators and cutting them loose. It's that simple. And that, that can be done. But uh, it's an awful lot of work. And, you, and you've got to win school boards. And you have to be on the vast majority, if not the entire majority, of the school board. So. It's not in it's not an easy job and uh and being on the minority of a school board is is a next to impossible task to get anything done. But either way, it continues here and it says, quote, Rochester Community School Superintendent Robert Shaner, or Shanner, I assume it's Shaner, admitted to monitoring social media posts made by parents and contacting at least two employees and one police department over parents' posts, according to a February 15th deposition reported by the Detroit News. Parents are calling for his resignation, 
amid the spying allegations, according to Fox News. Uh, he raked in at least 293492 in salary, according to Michigan's government salary database, and cost the district an additional $437,409 in benefits, according to the community schools in Rochester. His taxpayer-funded salary outpaces superintendents in neighboring areas that serve a more populous student body. Just very briefly, let me examine the, the very specific behavior. It is quite possible that these superintendents, again, are given orders from either school board members themselves or the people who control school boards. Because again, as we all know, it is not the taxpayer, it is not the voter that controls school boards. It is outside NGOs, non-government organizations, and a lot of these businesses and companies like the social-emotional learning companies and uh, all of it, the critical race theory companies, you name it. Again, this very behavior is used to help dictate their policy. So if they find posts online that parents are complaining about this, that, or the other, it allows them to use those posts, so they think, to their advantage to then double down on a more awful policy, again, like social-emotional learning and, and so on and so forth. What they continue to fail to understand is that all of these decisions that they make and that are made for them again by the people above them end up leading to this very next story, which is indicative of a failing system. And I covered it again in, in the last episode with the shots and everything that's happening with that, as you hear me say on a, on a regular basis. One of the other tactics that they engage in is they, of course, will create their own teacher education programs, these K-12 districts, or these, I guess you would call it, the, these speedy certification programs to speed up the process. This, again, is indicative of a failing system. You heard me mention in a previous episode that the Missouri Department of Education has lowered its testing requirements, that they've lowered the test score now to allow more passing scores. They, of course, say this is not because we are dumbing things down, when in fact, that's exactly what they're doing. So given all of these failed methods, there's another one here that I've brought up in the past, but this particular story, again, is very recent from July 15th, and this is in Florida which also should tell people a number of things. Number one, just because the state is red and a lot of people are clamoring about how great DeSantis is, it doesn't matter. You still have a failing education system and it's still crumbling to the ground. And moves like this where you are hiring military and military vets to fill teaching vacancies is more evidence that it does not work. Now, here's what this story won't cover, which I'm going to play the audio from this story, but I, I want to get out in front of it by telling you this. Not only is it a band-aid on a gushing artery when you hire military, but one of the things that has been studied already is that the vast majority of individuals who happen to be military vets who are looking again for all of the things that exist with an education position 
all of the good things, I should say, because we have to assume that they are going in to be morally sound human beings. And again, many of them are. Unfortunately, they end up being blindsided by the entire business itself. I even had a guest on, the, on this show a while back who is now a police officer, and you may recall, he was a veteran, and he, got into the te- he attempted to enter, enter the teaching profession. And he just, as he was doing it and learning about it, he just said, I, I can't do this. I can't do this in good conscience. I just can't. We are being taught things that are not going to be helpful in the classroom. It's one theory after another, critical this, critical that, whatever it may be. And, um, and they just said, I, I, I can't do this. And then they became a police officer instead. But what, what has been studied at length that is not covered, certainly by the mainstream media, is that within approximately two years, the same military veterans who entered the teaching profession end up leaving. Which means, again, it is a seemingly quick fix, so the education profession thinks, for something that is unfixable. It's too far gone now. Again, when a house burns from the inside out, outside in, whatever, eventually you can't fix that house. You just have to tear it to the ground. That's what we're, I mean, that's what we're living through right now. That is what's happening. So, Take a military vet, for example, and again, we'll start off with an example of a seemingly morally sound human being. They tend to be regimented, they tend to be firm, they tend to be businesslike in their approach, you would hope, and that they aren't there to hit on other teachers or sleep with students or whatever. You, you assume and you hope that they are there to do a job and then go home. You would also assume that they enjoy order, expectations, and discipline. That students will not speak until spoken to, manners, civility, XYZ. All of those things are the opposite of what you will find in an education environment by and large. I say by and large because it's not everywhere. That would be mathematically impossible. But in K-12 public schools, that tends to be the case. So they end up being blindsided because once they're employed, they're saying to themselves in their first year, okay, I'm getting paid. There's vacation. I like my subject. Again, many of them end up as as history teachers or they end up as geography teachers because, again, they have that background, you would hope. Uh, And then after year one, they basically reevaluate and they say, so this is what I can expect. I can expect unnecessary faculty meetings. I can expect condescending behavior, being talked down to, being minimalized, not being taken seriously, uh, being hit on by coworkers potentially, uh, being mistreated by coworkers and administrative staff and even students, being yelled at by parents for doing nothing. And then when I try to hold people accountable, in particular students, let alone staff members and administration, etc. But students in particular, what they will end up finding is that the administration are on strict orders to minimize discipline referrals. That there is little to no accountability that ultimately takes place. And me personally, again, I lived through this. 
I lived through the evolution of discipline within K-12 schools. And it really was quite an evolution because in the 90s where I was, if you got punched in the face, you were gone out of that building. And I mean gone. If you, if you punched somebody in the face and criminal charges were pressed against you, you were expelled. Not so today. That's not the case now. Now we live in a society and certainly in the profession where minors are given endless opportunities to break the law, to break the rules, the expectations, the codes of conduct, and then they're given more chances after that before they ever see something like an expulsion. And that right there is why they end up leaving, usually within two years. So much like a four-year education major who spends four years learning about the profession, they tend to leave again within four years. Anywhere from three to five, they end up saying, I can't do this. This is ridiculous. I'm out. And then they're done. So they are quite literally learning about the profession longer than they are actually holding the position. But it's worse for these veterans. So again, this comes from WFTV Channel 9, ABC in Florida from July 15th. Give this a listen. Facing a major employment crisis, Florida schools are set to open next month with some 9,500 teaching vacancies. Hoping to fill that gap, the state is changing its standards to try and get one specific group in the classroom. Channel 9 political reporter Christopher Heath joins us live. Chris, the state is looking to military veterans to fill these roles. Hey, Greg, that's correct. One of the laws that went into effect on July 1st opens up new opportunities for veterans to teach. The program's been in place for years, only now the state has changed some of the requirements as it desperately searches for teachers. Across Central Florida, school is out for the summer, but in just a few weeks, kids will head back to class. The only question, will they have a teacher? How concerned should parents be that you shall be very concerned. Ladera Royal taught for a decade and is now a dean in Orange County, where he's watched many colleagues leave the profession. A lot of good teachers have left and they are leaving. The exodus is still happening. With older teachers retiring or taking jobs in the private sector and younger people not entering the profession, the state is looking for new teachers. One source, vets. A new law that just went into effect removes the requirement for a bachelor's degree to teach for military vets, so long as they meet other requirements, such as 48 months of service, 60 college credits, a 2.5 GPA, and pass the required test. If they meet the standards, vets can teach for up to five years while also being given a mentor to help them transition into the new field. The state program is an extension of a federal initiative that's helped more than 100,000 vets become teachers since 1993. And while state leaders are optimistic the change in requirements will help, critics say it's not enough to just attract new teachers. The state needs to find a way to keep the teachers it already has. And to put this in perspective, right now, Florida has more than 700 schools that are listed as critical need, with 131 of those schools right here in Central Florida. These are schools in need of teachers in just about every subject from English and reading to math and science. Greg and Martha. There's a lot here to break down. There's a lot here. So let me do my best. Um, number one, as you heard me say before the audio clip, this will not work. 
This has been tried numerous times before. They're going to continue to quote unquote dumb down the certification process to some extent. Although there aren't much changes so far to what I can see and what I'm reading here. With that said, it says here specifically military veterans certification pathway that there are four particular parameters. Number one, a minimum of 48 months of military service with an honorable or medical discharge. Ladies and gentlemen, there are countless people leaving the military right now because they don't want the shots. In fact, they're leaving with a dishonorable discharge, which would not qualify them for this. And that's, again, assuming that they just don't just take the straight college or university pathway to become certified or uh, have the necessary degree, so to speak. The next one says minimum of 60 college credits with a 2.5 grade point average. To be honest, that's not, that's not very different from regular school teachers in every state. You need at least a minimum of 60 college credits specifically within a certain subject area. Uh, the 2.5 grade point average, that's usually always been the case. The next one says passing score on a Florida subject area examination for bachelor's level subjects. Again, that's not new. That isn't, you know, th that hasn't been dumbed down, so to speak. That's, that's the process. And then the last one says employment in a Florida school district or private organization or state-supported school beforehand. So they've either already been employed by someone before. What's interesting about this are the sort of hidden loopholes that will exist. Because me per personally, I was allowed to teach uncertified math and science for two years before I ultimately became uh, a health education teacher where I had certification and that was my bachelor's degree. And again, that, that's allowed in many states, but that's becoming larger. They're allowing individuals to teach longer uncertified because again, as you even heard the guy say, it's a hiring crisis. Now, again, this blows apart all of this stuff about red, red state, blue state, you know, DeSantis is the best and this person over here is the worst. It has nothing to do with politics. This is straight up bad organization and straight up infiltration of Marxism within any state, within any system, and watch it just crumbled to the ground. Uh, again, the whole point of Marxism is to destroy everything and not replace it with anything. You, you destroy it by brainwashing and indoctrinating people, and then you replace it with nothing. Because again, people have it in their heads, well, they have to replace it with something. I mean, something has to take its place. Well, sure, homeschooling can. Homeschooling takes its place all of the time. And as soon as, as you've heard me say, and as countless, countless people have said, both on this show and, and everywhere else, when a person homeschools, they don't regret it. They don't say to themselves, you know what? I've been homeschooling now. I have the freedom. I don't have to play all these government games. Let me go back into that government machine one more time because I bet, that, I bet it'll be different this time around. No, no one does that. And the same is true with these veterans. Like I said, they tend to leave 
after the first couple of years because they have to. Uh, and again, they're not paying these teachers anymore either. Many of them, again, are making less money than they've ever made. And take, for example, someone like me. I have a PhD in education. I'm allowed to teach. All I would have to do is take a certification area exam, become certified. They'd run a background check. They'd see that I was a whistleblower and was investigated for such. And, uh, and they would ultimately let me teach because, again, there's a shortage that is rampant, and they can't, they can't plug that leak. It's too big. But they won't hire me because I have a PhD and I'm higher on the pay scale. So they could hire me, but then they wouldn't be able to hire two more people. The point is, is it's just not financially feasible to hire individuals who are very qualified, which means, again, again, you know, it's going to sound insulting, but they have to scrape from the bottom of the barrel. They have to. And this is exactly what they're doing. And they do the exact same thing when, again, a teacher breaks the law or a teacher is being investigated for something. They really don't want to replace them because it's too much work for them. So they just move them around. Everybody just plays trade with one another. One school gets one unethical teacher while getting rid of another, and then they just switch buildings or they switch positions or whatever it may be. It never works. These are, again, failing business models from a failing business from people who work within, who run it, who have no idea what they're doing. And that's, that's just the way that it is. So they can hire all the mil ex-military they'd like. Um, it's, it's not going to it's not gonna work. Here's the next one. This comes from Action News 5 and uh, out of Memphis, Tennessee. And this has to do with the Nashville Middle School that has lost 29 teachers in just one year. This too is from July 15th. Give this audio a listen. It says since the start of the 2021 school year, 29 teachers and staff have left OMS. The turnover rate is alarming parents who voiced their concerns at a school meeting Thursday. I want to know specifics of how you plan to regain our trust and be an effective leader knowing that you've lost over half of your teachers. MNPS says most of the positions have now been filled. There are currently five vacancies. Here's how district spokesperson Sean Brasted explained the departures Thursday. Some for personal reasons, some for uh, promotion, some for other reasons. Friday, the district followed up and said in a statement, some of the reduction in teachers is due to budget reductions as a result of enrollment losses during the pandemic. Adding that Oliver is projected to see a decline of 80 students in the upcoming year as there are more students moving on to high school and less students coming in. Our, our population has naturally dropped since Oliver has started to unravel. WSMV4 obtained 13 teacher statements. 12 of them have resigned, describing the school as, quote, an environment of chaos, with teachers detailing how it is, quote, impossible to feel safe at my place of work. The letters criticize the school's handling of an incident in April where a student brought a loaded gun to campus, saying, even after the lockdown incident, safety measures at Oliver did not change. We asked the former teacher if she would still send her kids there today. Knowing what I know about just that incident, their safety's on me if I send them. 
Teachers and parents claim turnover has been nowhere near this in years past. We asked Metro schools how many resignations there were in previous school years dating back to 2017 for context, but the district did not provide those numbers for us by airtime. You heard the superintendent there say, will teachers leave for a variety of reasons? You know, there's reasons and then, uh, you know, promotions and then other reasons and reasons and more reasons. They can never, ever, ever admit the real specific reasons as to why teachers leave. It is whistleblowing. It is the covering up of physical and sexual abuse. It is sexual grooming all of which takes place at the hands of teachers and administrators within said building. Drug use, no accountability, no consequences, whatever you want to call it. It's all of those things. That's indicative of the people and their behavior of those who run said buildings. Again, it's why the military people end up regretting it, why they end up leaving very quickly. Because the entire house of cards crumbles in on itself. They have no idea that this is beyond unmanageable. They actually believe, and by they I mean the administrators, they believe that they are the coup de grace of managers. We can manage adults and students of all ages, including a building and all of the uh, ins and outs that that requires. Being an administrator is arguably one of the easiest jobs if you're an honest person. If you're not an honest and ethical person, it is one of the most difficult positions that exists. Now, as you might imagine, that's not specific to just the education field. You can apply that method to any profession whatsoever. If you're morally sound, ethical all of the time, and you tell the truth, Whatever job you have will typically be the easiest, in particular, if you're the one running the show. However, if you're a lackey, which is what most administrators tend to be, I said most, not all, don't get offended. I've had great administrators on this show talk, and they are wide awake, and they know what's going on. But many of them love being told what to do. They love licking boots and kissing ass and doing all of that stuff because, again, it comes with the job. It's a, it's, a, it's a personality trait among many of them. And the same is true, again, with some teachers. But what they don't understand is, is that their own failing policies, their own ideas, quote-unquote, and their inability to say the word no in the face of evil and bad policy is the reason that they are failing. You take all of that and you compound it with the brainwashing and the social engineering that's been going on this entire time. When you confront these board members, superintendents and school teachers for their ineptitude, they, they look at you with a, with a weird smile on their face because they have no idea what to say back to you. And as you've heard me say, this is one of the reasons why in school board meetings, they do not have a back and forth during the question or public comments section. Ethical school board members would vote to have a back and forth between parents, teachers, and whoever it is that stands up to the microphone and starts to ask questions. Many of them don't, though. Sometimes they will hold a special session 
where where the superintendent might show up and actually take questions from community members and parents and whatever else. But very rarely to never does that happen. Only in a moment of sheer crisis would they do such a thing in an attempt to sound like they're controlling this this wild boar that is on the loose and and they just can't it, it, there's no amount of special sessions or question and answering sessions that are going to make these people look competent there there just aren't they are a failure because of their own behaviors and their own policies i also thought about this what if during these interviews where they're actually interviewing new employees to work within school buildings, they actually start asking them about all of these fake school shootings. What if you're sitting at one of these you know, conference tables where they're interviewing you and you're sitting there typically with at least one administrator and usually there's two along with maybe a teacher and they have no business having other teachers sit in on these interviews, in my professional opinion, because uh, in many cases, the person being interviewed is smarter than the teacher doing the interviewing. You know, they're just sitting there to basically gauge whether or not they think they'll get along with them. Forgetting, of course, that you're not in the profession to make friends, you're in the profession to teach students. But what if they started asking them about Uvalde? What if they started saying things like, so, the Uvalde shooting and school safety, what are your thoughts? I would love to answer that question. The first thing I would say is, is I would look at them and I would say, before I answer that question, I just want to ask whether or not you're asking this question to other people that you're interviewing. And then there would probably be a pause because I'm answering a question with a question, which means, of course, in their mind, I'm probably being hostile. And, oh, God, we've got a question asker on our hands. What's going to happen next? <laughs> it's perfect. But that's what I would say first. I would say, are you going to ask other people the same question? And they'd say, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, sure, yeah, absolutely. We ask everybody about these kinds of things. I would say, Uvalde didn't happen. No one died. The whole thing was a hoax, and I can prove it to you. And then I would sit there quietly, and I wouldn't say another thing, but I would look very serious, of course, because it's a serious answer to a serious question. And then I would, add, I would start to see whether or not they were capable of asking any questions, like, well, what proof do you have? And I'd say, okay, here we go. I'd pull out my cell phone, and I'd start showing them the hoax videos, the crisis actors, all of it. And I would simply say, one of the largest failures in the field of education is a result of people who watch television, and the television in the history of the television is a brainwashing mechanism. It's designed to brainwash people. And that becomes, then, your school policy. And then you wonder why your school policy always caves in on itself and fails, and why the turnover rate is so high, and why parents are mad and upset. Not that all the parents are awake to what's really going on in the world. Many of them are not. But this is, again, the kind of questioning and the kinds of subjects that have to be brought up in these interviews nowadays. But they aren't. It's more of, again, what are your thoughts on critical theory? What are your thoughts on classroom management? What are your thoughts on discipline? It's just, it's just drivel. The effective educator already does those things effectively. The question is, is who's going to back them up? And what we know is, is that 
people are not backing them up. And again, by people, I mean administrators, the school district itself. They are not backing up the most morally sound people because it's a crumbling business. Now, I may have told this story before, and I think I told it again approximately a year ago. Because in roughly one month from now, the local school district where I live is going to be opening its god-awful doors one more time, and the school year will begin. One of the things that occurred right there at the beginning of last school year was my mom and my dad, separately, they made up a sign and they stood outside of two separate school buildings. My dad stood outside of the high school and my mom stood outside of one of the three elementary schools. My dad stood outside with a sign that said homeschool. And then it was abeca.com, I believe was the website. And then I think there was calverteducation.com below that, which was awesome. And the police were called on him and they said, look, you can stand here. It's no problem. You know, whatever else. And people were supporting him and rolling down their windows and saying, yeah, you know, good for you. The same thing happened with my mom. Only my mom's sign had something to do with the masks and the shots. Take the masks off, no shots, something like that. Again, my mom reported that it was approximately 70% of the people who pulled into the school supported what she was doing. They were giving her the thumbs up, applauding her, and all of that stuff as they were actually still dropping their kids off in the school, which of course was ridiculous. And then of course you had some brainwashed goons who would just yell and shout and do whatever. If parents just don't learn that what is going on in the vast majority of these buildings is purposely designed to destroy their kids and them with it as parents, that all of it is the exact same brainwashing system. They will never wake up from the matrix and they will never understand that there's something else out there. That there's actually a level of consciousness that is beyond the current one where they exist. They'll never know it. And only by the grace of God do I know it. And only by the grace of God, again, do countless other people know it. You've heard me say this, and I'm going to keep beating this dead horse. Leaving the profession is akin to leaving a cult. It's the same thing. Here's the issue. The issue for parents is, is that as they send their children to this cult, known as American K-12 education, they don't understand that they, in many cases, are members of the cults themselves as parents. Because why else would you send your kids to such an environment? If you were actually fully blown awake and you knew what was going on within these environments and the money mismanagement and the statistical manipulation and the unethical behavior and blah, 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 all of it, why would you keep going if you yourself weren't still a member of the cult? Because again, here's what's going to happen. <clears throat> I'm just going to throw this out there. And I will cover this specific board meeting, by the way, when it happens. But at the beginning of next month is going to be the next school board meeting where I locally live. And the, the, one of the most important school board meetings, ladies and gentlemen, that you can ever listen to, if you're just curious, just from a curiosity standpoint, is your local school district the one right before school starts? 
because this is where questions about masks are going to be raised. This is where new policies are going to be thrown out. They're going to say, well, this is the next, uh, you know, this is the last board meeting before our school year starts. We wish everybody the best. And right now, here are our policies. And what, here's what you're going to hear. You're going to hear a level of vagueness that you've never heard before in your entire life. They're not, I mean, these, these board members are not just where I live. This is all over the United States. But they're notorious for being remarkably vague, in particular when it comes to the shots and the mask wearing. I mean, they're going to say, well, you know, there's been an uptick recently, but uh, we're just going to play it by year and we're just going to have to decide what's going to happen, uh, you know, when, when it shows its face and uh, we'll make a decision as we see fit. But as of right now, we don't see anybody needing to wear masks and whatever else. That's probably what they'll start off saying. And then as we know, once these teachers continue to become ill and everybody congregates again, electromagnetism takes over and everybody's around one another. That's going to disrupt the cells within their bodies. And then, of course, the jabbed will become ill. And then, of course, they will be shedding on the unjabbed, if there are still unjabbed students, which I hope to God there are. And then, of course, some of them will become ill also. So quite literally, from a logistic standpoint, a written standpoint, a contractual standpoint, a financial standpoint, and now, of course, a medical standpoint, as has been the case for the last two years. It's the most unhealthy environment that exists. That's not going to change. That's going to get worse this year. So my recommendation is that you pay attention to local school board meetings between now and when your school starts, whatever, whatever town you, you live in. Because what you can do is, even as, you know, I mean, I have, no, I have no stake in the game. I'm not a parent. I don't have kids in the system. I never would. I, and I certainly don't work there. But as a curious human being, I can watch these board meetings and listen to what they're saying, including the whack job parents who will show up and speak in front of the microphone and say, well, I hope that everybody's taking into consideration uh, the importance of mask wearing because we're seeing an uptick. I mean, parents will say this shit. They will get up there and they'll start telling other parents that they'd better start sending their kids to school with masks because they don't want their vaxxed kids who are wearing a mask to get sick. Wrap your head around that one. But that will happen. That will be a thing. So my point is, is that when you listen to these meetings, you can predict the moves down the line as to what's going to happen and what they're going to decide based on their upcoming policies. In particular, again, when it comes to the mask wearing and the totalitarianism or attempted totalitarianism that we saw this entire time. Again, the, the distancing might come back and, and certainly the faulty testing will come back and the quarantining and you need to stay away for seven days. Again, more paid leave for teachers, not to mention in that previous Nashville story where you just heard the article from that news report, they were talking about the reason that so many teachers are leaving is because of poor pay, and they just don't have the money to pay teachers. Bullshit. What happened to all that CARES money? What happened to all those ESSER funds? Because school board members were giving themselves money off of that, and they were even voting it in 
they would vote it into one of their or you know one of their meetings and they would say okay uh, all in favor of now us receiving funds for doing this job say aye and then they'd all go aye all opposed the ayes have it and then that would be it so you're telling me that throughout all of the cares act and esser fund stuff over the last year that teachers didn't get a little more money administrators didn't get a little more money nonsense it's not a funds problem it's deeper than that. And they, again, they don't want to address it. That's why this is all crumbling to the ground. I know I'm sounding repetitive and redundant on this, but if it were any other line of work or any other small business, they would have closed their doors. They would have closed them. The only thing that's keeping them alive is your participation as Americans. That's it. I will always be a homeschool advocate. I will always advocate for that because that is the healthiest, it is the safest, it is free from the cult, and it provides the greatest opportunity to wake up from the matrix and live a life with open eyes and open heart and open mind, all of it, as opposed to, again, being in the machine and being stuck in the machine. So there you go. That's my rant on education as it currently stands. But again, I do recommend watching and listening to local school board meetings within this next month. They're going to be very interesting. And I certainly am going to uh, listen to mine here locally where I live, and I'll probably bring you that audio when it happens. So, with that said, I've got a few jab-related things here to bring up. First of all, this comes from the expose. I'm just going to read the headline, and it shouldn't shock anybody. FOIA request reveals Pfizer and medicine regulators hid dangers of COVID vaccination during pregnancy after study found it increases risks of birth defects and infertility. No kidding. It says, quote, a freedom of information request alongside an in-depth dive into the only pregnancy fertility study performed on the Pfizer COVID-19 injection has revealed that medicine regulators and Pfizer chose to publicly cover up alarming abnormalities of the developing fetus and falsely downgrading the actual risk of COVID-19 vaccination during pregnancy by suppressing documented findings of the clinical data. These decisions led the medical professionals who are far too trusting of, medical, of medicine regulators to wrongly inform pregnant women that COVID-19 injections are perfectly safe during pregnancy, leading to many pregnant women feeling pressured to get vaccinated. This fraud and deception has caused at least 4,113 fetal deaths due to the COVID-19 vaccination in the U.S. alone. And the further study shows COVID-19 vaccination actually increases the risk of suffering a miscarriage by at least 1,517%. So there you go. Here's another post. This came from greatawakening.win. Certainly worth uh, mentioning because it's on the positive spectrum. No doubt about it. Because again, some people are waking up and a lot of doctors are uh, are leaving the profession and being replaced with other doctors. And sometimes these new doctors that are showing up might be a little more awake. It was titled, Noticed a Change at Pediatrician Visit. It said, quote, Today I noticed a huge change when I took my little to see her pediatrician. Since she was born, they always stuck us on the sick side, quote unquote, S-I-C-K, the sick side. 
and the sick rooms, quote unquote, because we refused to vaccinate our child and we were in the midst of COVID and did not vaccinate ourselves during pregnancy. Even if we sat on the well side, quote unquote, we'd be asked to sit on the sick side. Well, today, not only did we mingle and sit on the well side, they directed us to the well rooms. New doctor, and when it says, I'm sorry, it says new doctor, and when we said no vaccinations, she said, quote, good, good. And then they said, is this shift happening? Unquote. It, it very well could be. It very well could be. Every single time that we're looking at people who are dead asleep, there are still people that are waking up, which is a good thing. That's a good thing. Okay. Here's a quick little piece of audio I want to play, and then I want to play, uh, I want to read a couple of these posts that were tossed my way by a listener, and it's an individual on Patriots.win who is basically compiling all of these Twitter jab posts, is what I'll basically call them, but they are individuals essentially saying how other people should get vaccinated, quote unquote, not a vaccine, it's a bioweapon, but then they end up regretting it or they end up uh, texting out on their social media that they are now sick as a result. It's, it's pretty jacked up. But either way, give this audio a listen first. And this comes from, I'm going to get her name wrong, uh, Parima Wei, if I'm saying that right, who has apparently two PhDs in virology and immunology from Santa Barbara, California. I put this on my Gab account, but I want to play this. Uh, and she's 100% right when it comes to, again, COVID being a lie. It's never been proven to exist. It hasn't been isolated. And you cannot isolate things like this, ladies and gentlemen, because there is only poison. Viruses are not real. There's just poison in abnormal cells as a result of poison. So here's that audio in three, two, one. Inclusion, there's no SARS-CoV-2. Hence, there's no COVID-19. Hence, there's no variants. There's no gamma, no delta, no Omicron, and there's certainly no damn monkeypox. Monkeypox is essentially a side effects of the jabs, folks. There ain't no new virus. If you if you've been injected with monkey uh, with any of the Pfizer or Moderna or whatever Johnson and Johnson, any of those jabs, you get monkeypox. Essentially, you're detoxifying from your skin. So, um, I was contacted by my lab. Uh, principal investigator and who's the chief chief scientist of the lab and they said they got 1500 COVID positive samples from Southern California and we got a huge 1.5 million dollar grant from the NIH to do the isolation of the novel. We had 20 lab members and we started the process of isolation and purification characterization and causation, the way I described, it should be done the correct way with the Koch's postulates and all. We started in late April 2020, and we went all the way through September of 2020. I mean, that's a very, that's several months. And the reason is my PI, the, the principal investigator, wanted the test done three times. She wanted us to do the isolation done three times on the 1,500 samples because she kept saying, when the first time when we did it, we didn't find anything. We just found cellular debris. We didn't find SARS-CoV-2. We didn't find flu. We didn't find anything, okay? The, 
because she was she was upset that we hadn't isolated SARS-CoV-2. She was very much wanting to isolate and find this novel virus. So we did it three times and we found the same thing, just human, just cellular debris under the microscope, the way we did it. And then, you know, once we did the Koch's postulates, we used ferrets instead of mice. And so we had 100 ferrets that we injected this material into. And then you always have to have a control group. That means you take a control group of another 100 ferrets and you inject them with saline solution. When we injected the ferrets, okay, this is very interesting. The ferrets, if, if, if there was something really deadly, like a virus or something that makes people sick, you know, which they say all these people had runny noses, high fevers, pneumonia, blah, 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 headaches. Well, the ferrets should also get those same symptoms. Nothing happened. All were healthy. They were moving around, very active, vibrant. In fact, their appetites increased. Some of them got kind of chunky. And 10 ferrets lost a little bit of fur on their tail, and that's about it. Losing fur on your tail is not SARS-CoV-2. So she sent emails to other universities saying, this is what we found. We contacted 100 universities in this country, of which only six responded. They said, all right, we'll replicate this whole process exactly the way you did it. They, they took about a month and a half to do their studies, and they found the same thing we did. That's all they didn't find. They didn't find SARS-CoV-2. They didn't find the genome. They didn't find anything. I mean, nothing was found. Seven universities then called the CDC. Robert Redfield was the director. I call him the, the um, let's see, Fauci's colleague and Trump appointee as CDC director. We called them and we said, hey, these are the findings. Okay. Uh, 2.5 hours on a Zoom call back and forth. And he says, just call it SARS-CoV-2. I don't care what you found. If you found something else, you have to call it COVID and SARS-CoV-2. If you don't call it SARS-CoV-2, you're going to lose your job. You'll never work in a lab again. I'll make sure you never work in a lab again. We'll, you, the, your lab will be you know, closed down, underfunded, not funded, et cetera, et cetera. We said no. Um, our group decided to go ahead and publish our findings. And we went through 21 journals. The last journal that we went, we went through science, nature, plus one. The last one we went through was in October of last year, October 2021. The Danish Medical Journal. We decided to go outside the country. We thought, okay, maybe if we go to Scandinavia, they're usually open-minded. First they said, they gave us a provisional yes. And then they said, no, I think the government, the Danish government probably put some pressure or something. I don't know what happened between like June of 2020 through early August 2020, after we found what we found, and the CDC said, you have to call this SARS-CoV-2, blah, blah, blah. We actually started calling the CDC and asking them to send us an isolated purified sample so we could test it, okay? So we could actually do the causation studies and Colts postulate. Since they didn't believe that our samples were any good. We said, hey, why don't you send us just one or two samples, right? First, they said they can't send it. Then they said they didn't have any samples. There's no records of any samples, et cetera, et cetera. So, and then after two months, they just started hanging up on us. Finally, in April of 2021, our lab was raided by the FBI. Everything was confiscated, computers, paperwork, drafts. Fortunately, me and 
four other people had saved everything. I have everything saved, including the actual paper copies. I kept those, um, you know, the drafts, all our work, uh, writings, everything. So we have all of that. We saved that. We can still publish. And that's the end of the clip. I'll give you another suggestion. Take that audio clip right there from this episode. Again, it's on my gab too, but you can take that audio clip. It's five minutes long approximately, but show up to a school board meeting and play it off of your cell phone right into the microphone. Walk up to the microphone, introduce yourself, and then hit play. Don't say another word, just hit play. Nothing like having a two PhD individual telling you that they were going up against government 100% with the proof that there's no such thing as SARS-CoV-2, that it does not exist, that there is no COVID-19, viruses are not real, and that when they did that, they were threatened by everybody. And that again, getting their article published would mean that government would be coming after them and the publishers themselves. Corruption at the highest level, everybody, because the entire thing is a lie. Okay, so here's the last thing. And again, this comes from Patriots.Win, and I will link the description below to this particular compilation. And it's just a giant archive that this person has done, dating back to the month of April. On, again, what, uh, what, some, what, what countless individuals, again, were saying regarding these shots on, on their social media accounts. And again, can this be trusted? You know, probably. Because what's interesting about the hubris and the virtue signaling of these individuals is that they love posting it out there even when they are double, triple, quadruple jabbed and they're still sick and they can't for the life of them figure out why that's the case. So I just want to read a few here, and this is just from this month. This first one comes from July 2nd, and it's a uh, series, of, <laughs> it's a series of, of tweets. This is just incredible. It says, uh, from the first person, it says, COVID booster get. No weight at all. And this was back on November 22nd is when that particular person put that out. And then someone else replied to them on July 2nd of this year, and they said, my best friend and housemate, the person who posted the first post, passed away last night. We shared so much together. I'll always have amazing memories with you, Koei, if that was their name. Uh, you'll be in my heart forever. And then seven hours later, they said, uh, Koei brought me to my first furry convention. Well, there you go. And these people are brain dead. It says, uh, one of the replies was, not sure, but I know a few people who have passed away from internal health stuff lately. Again, it's, uh, the vir it's, virtue, it's virtue signaling to the death, to the actual death, and certainly to the nth degree here. Because again, they're just, they're talking about themselves and, oh, you know, I'm four deep and oh, now I'm in the hospital. Uh, here's the next one. This comes from somebody named Nurse Kelsey, whose pronouns are she, her, if anybody was curious. And uh, it says, I saw my NP today to discuss my ongoing struggle with long COVID, quote unquote. This thread, by the way, started back in February 25th. 
and it continues all the way through let's see uh i believe july so here we go february 25th uh she was warm funny and kind of attentive and genuine and motivated to help me feel better just being heard made the whole appointment worth it no answers or solutions of course but validation is priceless and then someone replied and said so glad you found validation just confirming you had a breakthrough infection correct many people are not believing that long covid results from breakthroughs but anecdotally i'm hearing a lot about them okay i got to jump in real quick before i finish this thread there's no such thing as breakthrough infections and there's no such thing as long COVID. This is Marxist word manipulation. Always has been. Again, if you're listening to this, you know that. But always has been. And then they replied uh, again back in February 25th to that post. And they said, yep, double vaccinated and boosted all with Pfizer. N95 everywhere. No play dates. No indoor with anybody except my immediate family. My too-young-to-be-vaccinated four-year-old brought it home from preschool despite wearing a KN95. And then in May 13th, they said, right, my daughter is five. She is fully vaccinated because she is five. I call BS on you knowing anything about what you're talking about. And then they continued and they said on May 13th, the same day, uh, just one minute later, a COVID post isn't official under the scumbag anti-vax vaccine injured freedoms, F-R-E-E-D-U-M-B-S, in quotes. This is all a government ruse. People find the tweet, block, 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 block. And then they posted this, celebrating Independence Day by gaining independence from my suddenly very cranky gallbladder surgery this afternoon, unquote. I hope you can, uh, <laughs> this, is, this is terrible. I hope you can figure out exactly what's going on here. Again, these people have no shame. Uh, here's one from December 8th of 2021. It says, guys, I did it so far. So good. No pain, nothing. Hashtag COVID vaccine. July 3rd of this year. Confession, Monday morning out of nowhere. I brought my daughter, I brought my daughter to camp while I was having an ill chat, a sorry, little little chat with one of the instructors. I had a heart attack. I fainted for 15 minutes. It was a scary experience. I'm only 35 and my doctor told me I am too stressed. Unquote. Here's another one. I'm going to keep going with these cuz these are just too jacked up. This was put together on uh, the 5th, and this one stretches, oh wow, okay, this is a long one. <laughs> this is horrible. This is just horrible. This one stretches to July 5th, uh, but all the way back to 2018, and this is all about Trump too. Oh wow, the downfall in this one is going to be interesting. This is from at Don Hosmer 7 on Twitter. Dawn is fighting to kick cancer's butt, it says. It says, why is God's name, why in God's name is nothing being done about Trump? I can't watch the news anymore without screaming at the TV, hashtag impeach Trump. That was July 17th of 2018. 
Here's August of the same year. I wonder how I will ever be able to have a relationship with my family and some of my friends long after Trump is gone, knowing they support him, knowing that despite the racist, misogynist, awful things he said and done, uh, are a reflection of what's in their hearts. And then this is them on January 7th of 2021. I honestly feel like they need deprogrammed from the cult they've been in first. They don't even realize how brainwashed and lied to they've been. That has to happen first before reasoning can happen, I'm afraid. And then they said, I don't feel like I'm in a war on my part. Many of my family members were brainwashed by the conspiracy theories. We do need to analyze what helped create the problem and fix the root of it, praying that it's possible. And then in April of 2021, they said, update on vaccine two. I had my shot Tuesday afternoon. I started feeling bad around midnight that night and have felt awful sense with fever, chills, exhaustion, and body aches. I, f I keep reminding myself it will pass and it's worth it, but damn, I feel awful. August of the same year, 2021. They said, ugh, how frustrating. I'm full of rage and those who refuse to mask up and or get vaccinated. I hope you all are okay. November 2nd, same year, 2021. Update. After tons of testing and a biopsy, the doctors believe I have stage 4 breast cancer that has spread to my spine, my liver, my, liver, my lymph nodes, and my brain stem. We will not know the best treatment. Until the biopsies come back, I want to be open about this because it's important. January 5th, 2022. COVID is hitting me so hard even though I'm vaxxed. Got monoclonal antibodies, etc. It's really, start, really starting to scare me. March 8th of 2022. Update. They found small blood clots in each lungs. They, are, they aren't affecting my heart, which is good news. They're going to start me on an IV blood thinner and monitor overnight. They also found several new bone fractures, one in my back and one in my left hip area. May 24th, 2022. Thank you, Jennifer. I was in a good mood earlier, but had my COVID booster, and now I'm not feeling that great. I'm going to let that set in for just a second. They got two shots, they got cancer, blood clots, and then they went and got a booster. After all of that, it continues, July 5th, 2022. Hi, everyone. This is Dawn's friend, Beth. She passed away at 12.22 p.m. Eastern Standard Time today. In the end, this moves so quickly, that's a mercy for her and heartbreaking for the rest of us. There will be a viewing and service this Saturday in the Columbus, Ohio area. Unquote. You see where this is going? They're chronicling the fraud themselves, and they don't even know that they're doing it. They don't even know. Here's the next one. Susanna Dunlap, at Arnie Iris on Twitter. This was from October 13th, 2020. How any self-respecting woman could vote for Donald Trump and his administration is beyond me. January 28, 2021. 
cleared by my brilliant and talented OBGYN today to receive COVID vaccine in February. She has been my physician for five years and knows I am high risk due to pre-existing conditions and being a frontline pandemic worker. If you're pregnant and still on the fence about it, talk to your OB. This is them on January 30th, two days later of the same year. The theoretical risks of a vaccine are nothing compared to the real deadly risks of contracting a well-documented lethal disease. The numbers speak for themselves. And then this comes from May 18th of 2022. Our daughter would be one year old today. We have missed out on a lifetime with her. Our grief is as deep and as wide as our love for her. Our darling Bethany Kate, born still at nine months gestation. Lord, stay close to us. And of course, they're killing their own children and they don't even know it. Uh, Here's another one. This was from July 17th, and this will be the last one I read. It's from Give to Live at 19 SEDA underscore 61. Effing hell, I got the BA.5, and it's horrible. Day 12, minor heart attack, 24-hour head-banging headache, can't lay on my four-times-boosted left side to date, and pain down my whole left side to my ankle. I've been overprotective and I still got it, or and it still got me, rather. No sleep, fever six days, stay safe, friends, unquote. They just won't get it. There are people that are getting it, there's no doubt. But when you've believed so many lies for so long and you're still plugged into the matrix, it's only going to be a matter of time, ladies and gentlemen. It's only going to be a matter of time. And trust me again, to tie this back into schools, you don't want your kids in schools when the hammer drops here and when they start making decisions again. The last thing you'll want is you'll want your kids to be in school when these decisions are made on the spot. To either mask, distance, and again, consistently pressuring minors to get the shots. And as we know, and as you've heard me say, and even Vanessa Hurst wrote about it and brought this up a year ago on the podcast, they're going to continue to hit children with the jab propaganda during the school days. And you may end up inadvertently signing off on them getting the shots away from you as a parent while they are in school. Because if you sign off on those consent forms and it says in the small print that the school district can give you the shots when they feel like it, ladies and gentlemen, it's game over after that. So here's what I want to do. I'm, I'm really going to end this episode with this. I, I want to end on a, on a positive note and on a positive note about waking up. Approximately one year ago, I had a man by the name of Richard Sachs reach out to me after my school board meeting talk. And he wanted me to be on his show. And I said, absolutely. I checked out his work and I went, absolutely, 100%. And we must have talked for at least an hour and a half. It was, it was a lot of fun. And I highly recommend checking him out and checking out his, uh, his channels. I know he's on, I believe, BitChute. Th- th- he has pieces of audio, certainly on YouTube. But he's well aware of the censorship. He's completely awake. He's unjabbed. In fact, I think he's 
one of the only unjabbed people in his entire family. But it was an honor to be on his show, and I want to play this recent audio from him. This was just from a few days ago, and uh, it's an excellent message. So I'm going to end with this message from Richard Sachs, and I'll catch you on Friday, everybody. Take care. Hey, guys, I just did a long video for other platforms on a couple of things. And, you know, I can't really tell you much about what it's about because I'll get banned on this platform because they've been so kind to tell us in our re-education process what we cannot talk about, what you shouldn't be allowed to hear or think about for your own protection and well-being. And we have to honor that or else you won't find us here at all. But I can tell you a couple of things. One is about real science. Real science is not religion. What do I mean by that? Real science is questioning everything. No ego. No labels. No, I'm a so-and-so-ist. Or I believe in this theory. And that's it. That, that's the theory. And I won't entertain questions about it seriously, other than to show that you're all wrong and I'm right. That is not science. That is what we're being taught now in education because there's a system in control of almost everything, certainly the medical system and everything else, that wants us to believe certain things and to believe that they're unquestionable truth. And that's not science. Science is never settled. This is really important to understand when you're making your own health decisions. Real science questions everything, even its own beliefs. If, if the current state of the art of medicine believes a certain thing is causing disease or a certain thing is curing disease, if it's real science, it will say, but we're constantly looking for ways that we're wrong for our mistakes. Because if we're not wrong, it will still be right even after the questioning. But if we are wrong, we can get closer to what's true. And that's what we're after. We're not after protecting our own image or saying, you know, the priority is not being the famous person who came up with the right theory. The priority is, is not that. It's finding and using the best theories that prove to be true and beneficial. That's not what's being taught. It's not what's being done. Uh, what we're being told in follow the science is believe it or else. That is so far from science. So that's one of the things I talked about. And when you find out in science, and you can be a scientist, you don't need a plaque on the wall that says scientist. If you follow these principles of investigation, then you can make use of all those basics of science without degrees or credentials or anything, just because of your own consciousness and what you're committed to doing. And you're willing to let the ego drop, you know, stop attacking people and saying how stupid they are. And, you know, just become who you really are, not your, who your ego identity really is. That just gets in your way and it skews your vision. It's a screen clouding your understanding. Just drop it. It's total garbage. You know, be open to being corrected about anything, but check it out. That's science.
So I was talking about that. And if you find that something that seems outlandish to you, according to your background and your programming, and it seems sci-fi, you know, that it couldn't be true, don't jump to conclusions. Find out, be brave. Find out if it's true. If it is true and it's not what you think, correct what you thought that was a mistake and be happy about that because it makes you more accurate. If it's wrong and it's nonsense, say, well, that wasn't true. And I found out. I'm not just throwing it out offhand because I'm saying it's a stupid conspiracy theory. I found out. Find out. You don't need a person with 10 PhDs to find out for you. You can find out a lot. And who you really are is worth doing whatever you have to to get in touch with. Because it's incredible being. You're not mind. This is just in my experience. You're, we're not these costumes that we fight about all the time. We're not the mind. That's a tool. We're formless spirit inside. Whatever word you want to use, it doesn't matter at all. Get back in touch with that and, and back in touch with where you came from. Beliefs won't do it. You have to experience it. And there are ways you can. Find out. Find out who you are. Aside from body, aside from mind, aside from all the programming that we're all fed. Who are you? Where did you come from? On a very deep level, to a real extent, this place that we consider the real world is a dream world projected by consciousness. And I'm just a character in your dream world, and you're dreaming. And I'm saying, wake up in the dream. You can do it. I'm not saying something silly. I'm saying something I want you to understand. When you go home and the dream's over, that's one thing. That's great. But while you're still here, you can wake up like lucid dreaming in this dream that we call the real world. And if you do that, you'll help all the people you care about along with yourself. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.